once your business gets to a certain size, the cracks start to emerge. Things that used to take just a day now take a week. You deserve a customized solution, and that's NetSuite. Learn more when you download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist, absolutely free, at netsuite.com slash cloudwars. That's netsuite.com slash cloudwars. Hello, my friends. Welcome back to Cloud Wars Live. We are, in many ways, looking at life in the new digital world, work in the new digital world, innovation, uh, all those things rolled together. And I remain incredibly optimistic about where all those things are headed in spite of some of the hiccups we see here and there. Somebody else who's really, really good at seeing around the corner what's up, what's happening, and offering some uh, always fun perspectives on it is our dear friend Christopher Lockhead, who is an entrepreneur, podcaster, author, all-around good guy, hockey player. And uh, he was a CMO a few times. Done good. Christopher, great to see you. Great to see you, Bob. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be back here on Cloud Wars Live. And love you, love John, love all things acceleration and acceleration economy. We're accelerating into the future. <laughs> oh, I like it. That's that's well. So we're yeah. going to capture that and record it and go for I love it when you and John post on social media and you got the the flag the acceleration economy flag gif meme thing i like i like the way it flaps <laughs> <laughs> yes 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 things are fly moving. the flag bob absolutely absolutely um christopher i just wanted to give you one little update here uh before we start because i know you always have tremendous things to talk about but i wanted to say uh got a new little granddaughter say lulu um she's about three months old it was a bit of a difficult pregnancy and birth, but she's doing great now. One of the things that came up there in uh, as my daughter was going through the last few months of the pregnancy was the doctors were kind of bombarding her and her husband with data, details. Well, there's a 0.8% chance it might be this. There's a 1.2% chance the baby might have this or that. And at one point, Ellis said, is there anything I can do to help? you know, make sure the outcome comes out the right way. They said, no. And she said, okay, how about you stop laying all this heavy duty stuff on me because you're driving me nuts. And at the same time, you're telling me don't get stressed because stress goes right to the baby. So um, the outcome of this, Christopher, was that later the doctor, and he's a fantastic person, happens to be a young woman, came in and talked to Ellen. She said, look, I I'm really sorry that about how this conversation or this ongoing conversation went on. She said, we're starting to understand that our medical technology and our data and our analytics are outstripping our ability for how we talk about it to other people. And I just thought that was such a powerful insight for so much of what's going on in our life today. And just that whole thing of the need to boil stuff down to a human to human level, right? The tech stuff is all great and wonderful, but if we can't uh, adapt that and connect it to how people's lives really work, then it's going to cause more difficulty than it is help. So I just wanted to toss that out there, but uh, I think Lulu is going to be, uh, she's going to turn the world upside down sooner rather than later. She is quite a character. Well, congratulations on Lulu. I'm glad everybody's healthy and uh, it's very exciting news. Yeah. So, um, Christopher, but just, you know, you always offer some good perspectives on things. I just wanted to pop that out there. But 
I think as usual, you are you are scanning the headlines around the world and uh, bringing an interesting perspective to some things. So what has hit your radar this month? Yeah, I thought we could just have maybe a little bit of fun this time, maybe a little less serious, although there's some things in here that, that have a serious component. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of interesting things going on. And I thought I'd maybe touch on, on a couple that have uh, yeah. caught my attention. I also must tell you, my producer, Jason DeFilippo, is an amazing guy. And he's got his main podcast with his partners called Grumpy Old Geeks, and they they, they and they might have the greatest <laughs> tagline in the history of podcasts. It's something like uh, "Grumpy Old Geeks." Uh, uh, what went wrong on the internet this week and who's to blame? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> well, if you're going to be grumpy, you got to point some fingers. Exactly, exactly. And then he's recently started sort of a solo. Uh, podcast where he uh, uh, sort of aggregates tech news. Uh, that podcast is called Boot Up with Jason. And I, I've become addicted to it, even though I talk to the guy all the time. <laughs> Boot Up with Jason has become one of my favorites. And one of the things I like about what he does is, yes, he tells you the sort of uh, tech news that's going on, but he also tells you this weird shit. So uh, I've been collecting a little, I like to collect weird shit anyway, but because I've been listening to a lot of Jason's new boot up podcast, I've been collecting some more interesting shit because he's always got the main big shit, but also a bunch of other funny shit. So some of this stuff I, I heard from him. But all right, first, let's start here. So uh, there's some interesting things going on with McDonald's. Uh -huh. So McDonald's recently announced that they are going to eliminate all of their soda self-serve stations. And. There's a lot of upset about this because people love to go and get a little top up. Maybe, you know, the extra large Coke that you had, you got two thirds of the way through it while you were only halfway through the fries. And so you want to go back and stick it under the fountain. And sure. maybe there's something, you know, nostalgic about that fountain business. Um, and some people are saying it's a cost thing. And some people are saying it's a sanitation thing. And, you know, maybe maybe um, the 5G misters that spread COVID are in there or whatever. I have no idea. Uh, I'm just kidding. That satire for the algorithms, total satire. Um, but here was the, there was a little gem in the report that I thought had a little bit of a aha for those of us who are trying to pay attention, which is they said that for the second quarter of this year, 40% of their sales were from apps delivery or kiosk 40 percent and so a big part of what they're doing is they're they're starting to shrink the size of the restaurants and the services in the restaurants because in a native digital world people don't want to go and sit in a restaurant they want to buy it in their digital app swing by and pick it up or have betty uh, wilma or barney deliver to them at home What say you, Bob Evans? Well, Chris, you know, it, it's fascinating because I think 15-ish uh, years ago, you know, McDonald's was one of the main uh, sort of drivers of this whole revolution about that, the self-serve thing. And then the um, that really remarkable soda dispenser that Coca-Cola created called Freestyle, where you could go and sort of pick anyone you wanted as intelligent thing filled with software so that you get the cherry coke if you want it or yeah, yeah. your fizz and but it was also allowed the people working in the stores to know hey when is this piece going to run out instead of lifting out that big five gallon cardboard thing full of syrup 
they could just switch a cartridge like on a printer. And right. they, they so they knew who was buying what at what time. And uh, and I thought it was a flood of information. But this or the decision, as you described it here, isn't so much about, oh, the tech didn't work or we're trying to cut costs. They're just saying the future is coming and it's a very different. Yes. Future, and this is becoming irrelevant. Yes. So I, I think it's a, a very powerful trend to pay attention to in terms of how the technology world has enabled uh, a different kind of, in this example, dining experience, and things are radically changing. And, and I think there's a learning here, and I think the learning goes some, something like this. Um, one of my favorite category design stories of late is um, – Alicia Otis. And Alicia Otis was the creator of what he called a new category called the quote unquote safety elevator. So elevators existed, but there was no mechanism for if there was a problem with the wire holding the elevator and the wire snapped or what have you, it was just going to go. And he created the mechanism that can hold it underneath. Anyway, um, here's the interesting thing. No, there's a couple interesting things. Number one, Guess who the category king of elevators is today? I, I heard the last name. and uh, Otis. Otis. If you look down next time you're standing in an elevator, yeah. and you'll, you will likely see a sign that says Otis. Well, that's because Alicia Otis designed the elevator and, and category designed the market called elevator. Now, there's an interesting corollary for all of us in the tech world today about that, which is... When a new breakthrough category of what you could argue is infrastructure or foundational technology shows up, new technologies and new categories create more new technologies and new categories. Mm -hmm. So, for example, with the, with the elevator, in the beginning, Bob, nobody knew what the fuck to do with it. And the way he made people have the aha about in category design, we call it different futures. The, the yeah. great innovators, the great entrepreneurs, the great creators design different categories in the future, right? So he was creating a different future. And so in order for people to see the future that he saw, he had to come up with an analogy, what in category design we call a point of view. And so uh, do you know what he called uh, the safety elevator when he created it so that people could understand what was possible in this different future? I do not. He called it the uh, vertical uh, train or the vertical railway. Yeah. And the aha he had was everybody understand that horizontally, that's how a railway moved. And uh, with a railroad, you could move people and you could move stuff. And he said, well, now you can move people and stuff up and down. Uh -huh. And then people said, well, why would we want to do that? <laughs> and of course, ta-da. <clears throat> well, see, these breakthroughs are not intuitively obvious. They're not self-explanatory. It took the year, it took the wheel 300 years before somebody started to use it for transportation. It was used for pottery and it spun this way. Anyways, legendary innovations don't speak for themselves. That's why category design matters. Yep. Anyway, long story longer. Um, Alicia, his breakthrough category of innovation is what now enables skyscrapers. Yeah. So without Alicia Otis, we don't have the modern city. Very and interesting. So, 
what's my point in all of that diatribe? My point is, I think we're very much in the beginning of um, this whole new world where AI, the cloud, uh, and everything that you talk about all the time is really creating a new possibility. And you know, this it may seem like a very small move by McDonald's, but the reality is they're the world's largest um, restaurant company. And when they now say, listen, people aren't coming to the restaurant, people are having it delivered, but people are picking it up and it's in-app purchases. It's yeah. something that we all have to pay attention to. The experience people want today more and more is a native digital experience. And in some ways we're still figuring out what the skyscrapers that we can build are with this new stuff. All right, Christopher, let me uh, jump in here. I want to ask you a question. I think it's related. We'll see uh, what you think about it. I have noticed something involving retail banks that I think it seems to me runs counter to the point that you're making here, but I, I, I suspect you will illuminate me on this. So I, I think it's fascinating, big cities, small cities, you'd see banks, right? Traditional banks built a hundred years ago, big granite, huge, stable, sturdy, you know, give the impression we're safe, you know, put your stuff here, we got you covered. Now they're office buildings, they're restaurants, they're residences, right? Because people don't do that stuff with banks anymore. But in the last two years, uh, I spend a lot of time in New York City, in Pittsburgh, a mid-sized city, and a small town on Lake Erie. In every one of those places, I've seen new, small, retail, storefront-type banks popping up. Incredible growth in these things. I thought banks were getting out of the retail real estate business because that's not how people are using banks this way. Do you, what's going on here? Why are this, why this proliferation in three very different types of areas of retail banks with a different sort of footprint? I think, I think the reality is multiple things can be true at the same time. And so uh, if you look at what's happening in general, I wouldn't want to be the owner of a bunch of shopping malls. And if you just look at the growth of online shopping, it's very, very clear. However, uh, where I live uh, in the broad Silicon Valley area, there is a Westfield Mall in San Jose called the Super Ding Dong Mall or whatever it's called. I don't know what it's called. It's a giant fucking place. And fairly recently, I don't know. I don't, I'm not a mall kind of a guy. But <laughs> oh, come <laughs> on. Yeah, no, I spent a lot of time in the mall. Uh, I like to go to Abercrombie and Fitch and I don't know, or whatever they're called. Anyway, um, and so several years ago, they did this massive uh, extension and uplift and they built all this new shit. And, and the whole time I'm thinking, what are they doing? Don't they know nobody wants to go anywhere anymore? And um, they created essentially uh, an experiential place. Mm -hmm. It's more than just go buy shit. And so, for example, the, the only reason I know any of this is there's this incredible uh, new chain that's a new category of uh, experiential um, uh, food experience. Mm -hmm. And it's called Italy, like Italy and eat Italy. And so I think if you go to an Italy, what you find is it's very niche oriented. Everything is authentic Italian. And they're making pasta in there and they got the cheese there and they got the butcher there and they got all that stuff. And the one here in San Jose is like three or four restaurants in it, a gelato bar, 
a super ding dong restaurant, a mid restaurant, a more regular sort of pizza restaurant. And so anyway, what's my point? I think as Joe Pine, author of Experience Economy, told us many, many years ago, if you can create an experience for people that's radically differentiated, um, that's very attractive. And people still want to have IRL experiences, but they're not going to go shopping. If you need to buy a pair of jeans and some underwear, you're going to go do that online. But uh, people, when they want to go have an experience, okay, well, now I don't want to just, and the thing is, I don't want to just have a meal. I want to go and I'm going to take some of the pasta home and I like the sauces and oh my God, the cheeses and the salamis and the, <laughs> and I go and I have this incredible shopping and eating experience. And so Italy is this fast growing thing and it sits as part of a broader thing at the Westfield Mall where everything is sort of like that, that the, the, what you have there is an experience. You're not just going to buy a pair of pants. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I hear what you're saying there, but you know, multiple things can be true at once. I got that. I, I do think this thing about banks it's interesting because they these new wave retail banks don't have teller counters, right? They just have little pods that you know you can go and speak to. And now they're they're not tellers; they're customer relationship managers. I think trying to get into that experience, like I, you know, I, I'm I don't quite get it. I, you don't go a lot to malls. I don't go a lot into these sort of banks, new world, but I thought it was interesting and maybe something you'll keep your eyes out open for, because I don't know if there's some category angle they're trying to work out here. So who knows? The, but, the interesting thing to me on that is um, a, a big part of why you needed a physical bank, of course, was to store money, mm -hmm. right? So you, you're a cobbler and I'm a butcher, and, uh, you know, we, we, we have our shops and at the end of the week, we have, uh, uh, 25 bucks for, for our revenue for the week. And, uh, we, we take that down to the bank and we give it to them or Wells Fargo criminal asshole bank that they are, <laughs> um, in, in back in the 1800s comes and gets the money and delivers it and da, da, da. And, and, and then we can go down and take our money out when we want. So there, you need a physical building to protect physical assets. And sometimes, of course, it was gold or silver or other things that would be um, uh, sort of uh, that could be transferred into uh, currency, that is. Well, today, there's no money. There's no such thing as money anymore. This is what people understand. Zeros and ones. It's just it's just an agreement we have. Right. There's no it's not tied to shit. Ever since Nixon took us off the gold standard, it, money's nothing. Money's made up. We all agree that if I give you a hundred bucks, you'll do the following, right? When I go buy a sandwich and a coffee and whatever, and it costs 15 bucks, we have an agreement that says you'll make me a sandwich and give me a coffee if I give you this plastic or I wave the thing at you or God forbid, I actually take out a piece of paper and hand it to you. Basically, I can wave a piece of plastic at you with a microchip in it, and you'll make me a sandwich. And then some zeros and ones that my microchip is attached to fly over the I don't know what of space, and those zeros and ones land on your database. And now you have a few more zeros and ones, and I have a few less zeros and ones, and you have less pastrami, and I'm eating pastrami. But it's not tied to anything. So my point is, you don't need a fucking bank. There's no money. Money's a made up fucking set of numbers. If you call 
Morgan Stanley or Citibank or whoever your bank is, they don't even have your money. Your money is a database record. Yeah. 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 Wow. So, all right. Well, fascinating there on the future and the uh, native digitals and, uh, you know, the way different industries are reacting to that. What else do you have on your plate for us there? Okay, here's one. So everybody's going AI, right? And the thing that we have going on here in Silicon Valley is essentially, this is an oversimplification, but allow me. If you're a startup and you're the, the name of your company is Bob Evans is awesome dot AI, the VCs want to talk to you. <laughs> if your company's name is Bob Evans is awesome dot com, you, you can't get arrested on Sand Hill Road right now. So everybody's going AI. All right. So you know who the latest to go AI is? Coca-Cola. They have now launched a quote unquote, I swear to God, I'm not making this up. AI created mystery flavor Coke. So our friends at Coca-Cola decided they would use AI to fuck around with, I don't know, the last 10 or 20% of the formula to create a new mystery flavored Coke designed by AI. And uh, it's, it's, it's designed to give you that quote, taste of the future. Enjoy a Coca-Cola wow. flavor from the year 3000. That's according to the Coca-Cola website. So you can now get your AI created flavor, limited edition Coca-Cola Y3000 um, at your local retailer. Christopher, do you happen to have in your, uh, your, your stable, your retinue of, uh, of partners there, anybody who does uh, sort of flavor analysis because I think it was two years ago, <laughs> whenever it was, two years ago, seems about right. The metaverse thing came through, rolling through for about a month and a half. Coca-Cola created a metaverse-inspired new soda. It had this crazy psychedelic sort of can design, and it was all about, you know, taking it. And then I think Coke tried to come on our website and we'll take you to the metaverse and also i wonder if they had you know a few big, you know tankers full of this crap and they said ah we'll make it the ai stuff now we'll go into 3000 i don't know so i wonder if your forensic yeah. soda tasters could yeah crack this caper so here's the interesting thing look this could very well be nothing much more than a marketing gimmick and if it is hey go with god i like marketing gimmicks and and have at it, you know, any excuse to create a limited edition, I don't know what, and create fake scarcity and be silly about it. And, and look, these things are fun and they can be very effective in driving uh, revenue. So I, I got no problem if it's a gimmick. It, however, and it, even if it is a gimmick, it is pointing to something, mm -hmm. right? What, what do we have going on in Hollywood right now? Well, we got the writer's strike going on. Yeah. What's a big part of the writer's strike about? What, well, this shit's always about money. But it's specifically about when you can ask AI to write you a movie script that is a combination of Quentin Tarantino and Steven Spielberg, uh, and it's about, uh, I don't know, dolphins, um, you're going to get something. And it's going to, and, and, and you can have uh, AI voice. We're now seeing a lot of this, right? Where I, I've heard uh, AI voice things that sound exactly like me and you know deep fakes and all this sort of shit but but really chat gpt is what blew this thing open because i can say hey um uh i did this very early on with chat gpt yeah. i yeah. said write me a tom waits song 
about whiskey. And it did. And it was really fucking great, man. Really great. And it, it, it read like a Tom Waits song. Ask it to write you a Dr. Seuss poem about tying your shoes. And it will. And it'll be fucking great. Anyway, um, and so there's all this fight about intellectual capital and creativity and ownership of ideas. And do you own your voice? Do you own your writing style? Do you own your acting style? Do you own your producing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, so you could argue that the creation of new consumer products, i.e. a cola, was a both creative endeavor and a scientific endeavor. Mm-hmm. Um, and now the AI is doing, just like the AI is doing the creative writing in Hollywood, if this is more than just a, a gimmick, you could imagine a closed loop system where AI comes up with a configuration of a new product, in this case of a cola, we do a limited release of that, like they're doing. We use AI to do deep analytics on the sales, the revenue, the customer feedback. We're doing, you know, we're using Clary to manage the revenue. We're using uh, Qualtrics to manage customer feedback and experience and all that stuff. And we're amassing all this stuff in, a, in a, a large language model. You could imagine a system where the AI is testing new concepts, rolling them out, looking at the data, taking the data, refining, which is, of course, what humans have been doing all along to try to come up with products that people will like yeah. and consume in the, and, and so forth. But now, um, you, you know what it reminds me of? One of my heroes is W. Edwards Deming, the, the father of the quality movement. Uh-huh. And he had this saying, and if I've shared this with you before, then shut me up, but where he, he was describing the factory of the future. And they said, the factory of the future will have three key employees, a person, a computer, and a dog. And the computer's job is to run the factory. And the man's job is to feed the dog. And the dog's job is to make sure the man doesn't touch the computer. When did uh, Mr. Deming come up with that? Because <laughs> I, I, I'd have to go look, but it that was a it while. Might have been the, it might have been the seventies. It was probably yeah. the eighties at the latest, because he's been not with us for quite a while. Yeah, but because uh, this, you know, in the seventies, the quality movement, and then the eighties, it really exploded, and it led to total quality management, and ultimately reengineering, and that all, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, so it, it was a while ago that um, that um, Mr. Deming said these these sage words. It's a it's right. a fantastic story. It's not necessarily the most uh, you know uh, uh, optimistic or bullish view on humanity, but you know <laughs> the dog. Make sure that human doesn't touch the computer. Make sure that the person doesn't touch the computer. That's the job. The job of the dog. All right, I want to skip the next one. Let's go to this one because I've been dying to talk to you about it. I read this in the news uh, just uh, recently. Here, uh, here's the headline. You ready? Tennessee woman sets record for world's longest female mullet. Holy crap. Yeah, did you click you see the photo? You see that I, fucking thing? I Well, I didn't know that they were they kept records and uh, Well, I know, that, but see, this is why big data matters because we have to track all this. It's very important. And now Tammy I, Tammy Namis, the, No, no. She's grown this thing for 33 years. Holy moly. Right? Since 1990. 
And according to this news report here, it's uh, 172.72 centimeters or five feet, eight inches. It apparently is uh, longer than she is tall. And it says the 58-year-old woman was inspired to start growing her hair in the 80s. And here's the funniest part to me. When she saw a video by a band called Till Tuesday, who had a hit in the 80s with a song called Voices Carry. Yes. And the singer, whose name is Amy Mann, had a rat tail. And it turns out Tammy wanted one ever since. And I saw, I shit you not, I saw... Uh, that band uh, play in Montreal uh, in the 80s. <laughs> Till Tuesday, voices carry. And, and you really have to see this thing to believe it. Yeah. Okay. I, 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 am looking, I am looking at the photo now. That is... Uh, you I, see it? And look, I don't want to, you know, speak poorly of um, our friend Tammy here, but um, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm going to say this is... A less than attractive look is that would you i to my style to my I, taste I know, I know tammy so i'm gonna i'm gonna pass on you know that but okay well i i, I appreciate tammy's achievement um it really is extraordinary and yes. uh as as john lennon said hey whatever gets you through the night yep christopher all now, right you ready for the next one well i just want to check a detail here early on in oh, okay in, in this anecdote you said it was the uh measure to be the world's longest female mullet do you have yeah. the corresponding oh. male? you know I, how stupid of me so let's just see if we can do this real time world's longest male mullet how could i have missed that one bob an obvious question hmm. uh, okay this is pulling up well, three feet, three inches is nothing compared to Tammy's. Get out of here. Go, Tammy. This, this is saying our friends at Fox News. Okay, this this is not, this is, the the Google is not helping here. Let's see. Hey, World I, record for the longest mu mu mullet. Okay, five feet, nine inches. Here we go. And this is also somebody. Oh, no, this is, this is the same gal. So I wonder if she's the world's longest male wow. or female. Wow. Oh, here. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Guinness Book of World Records. Longest competitive mullet male. Okay, here we go. Uh, Rich Price. Here it is. The longest mullet hairstyle measured for an established mullet competition in the men's division is 99.06. No, so she's got him beat. Three feet, three inches. and th No, this is, she's got, she's, so listen. She beat Rich. According to this, you tell me, uh, 99 centimeters. Oh, centimeters. Jeez. Can I, can you? Yeah, but Tammy's got 172 centimeters. Oh, so I think Tammy, unless this is wrong, if this guy Rich is the longest male mullet, then Tammy has got him crushed. Not even close. And, oh, not even close. Good. See, that, listen, I'm telling you, women are taking over everything, man. Yeah, that was good context there. That was good context. My my wife has a T-shirt that says "The future is female." And see, it's the future is female, even in the world of mullets. That's <laughs> not close. Okay, here, here's a funny one. I, I love this one. Uh, you're a big yoga guy, aren't you, Bob? Absolutely. 
Yeah. And so my favorite part of yoga is the end. It's called Shavasana. And what you do is you lay down. You just lay down on a floor and a mat and everybody shuts up. And that's it. Everybody shuts up. And, you know, depending on the yoga class, maybe the yoga instructor rings a little bell or has a little incense or sometimes they come by and they put a little out of tingly shit on your forehead or something or and, and i guess at some yoga places they do some kind of a bit of a ceremony anyway so we're here we are in london or in england lincolnshire england and there's this yoga class going on uh and i guess you can see it from outside and they're doing shavasana which is also called corpses pose but who the hell wants to call it that and i guess the instructor is doing some kind of a ceremony. I think maybe she's banging on a drum or something. It says in the story I sent you. Anyway, there's a couple walking by and they assume what they what they're witnessing is a, some kind of a weird cult mass murder. So quote, they reported to the police that they'd seen somebody walking around in a room lit up with candles and what looked like dead people lying all over the floor. The couple thought it was some sort of ritual mass killing, only to find out it was a group of people doing shavasana. Wow. Wow. Uh, boy, I, I hope that the person who called that in, you know, got uh good citizen, trying to be a good citizen. Rewards. Yeah. But not not a yoga, not a yoga aware citizen. Maybe not overall the brightest sort of perceptive person that but listen, they were trying to help. I think they were coming from a good place, um, even though. Um, and by the way, I I, I want I've, I've asked, asked many a yoga instructor if we could just do like an hour and a half long shavasana. Just <laughs> and actually, if you've never laid down on a floor, just lay down on the floor. Yeah. Just in in quiet. Just lay down on the floor. Hey. I, you know, I have back problems and shit. Laying on the floor is feels very good. Can I ask you, you mentioned a few different uh, sort of <clears throat> uh, ritual or touching things, yeah. signal it. What's your favorite? My favorite ritual thing? Close it, you know, touch the forehead, bang a drum. In what context? <laughs> here, for the Srinivasa. Oh, you mean when I'm doing yoga? When, I, yes. when I'm my personal yes. favorite yoga? Yes, because you said uh, it's the best part of yoga is that the oh, end. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, no, I like it when they have incense going and maybe they have some very calming. Sometimes it's not even music. It's just like a or some yeah. kind of a sound that's sort of very calming. And yeah, I like it when I'm laying there and the yoga instructor uh, comes comes by and uh, they have some kind of a some kind of a magical potiony thing they put behind your ears and it smells nice. Maybe it's eucalyptus or I don't, everything has turmeric in it. So it's probably got some turmeric in it. I have no idea. Um, and so, yeah, I like that. It's very peaceful and calming. You know, I live near the beach and uh, I think it's Tuesday nights. There's this gal who comes down and she sets up these big tables, mom. And she plays these, I, I, I'm not sure what to call, I think they're an instrument. I think you could say it's an instrument. And they're these giant bowls. And she kind of rubs these, yeah. this, uh -huh. uh, you know what I'm talking about? Some kind of a thing, some kind of a spoony looking thing. Wow. I, I'm sorry. I'm, and it goes, mm. well, and she's got all kinds of these things. And I don't know if they keep moaning or doing what they do. It's incredible. It's, and, and she's doing it at sunset. 
and what people do. And she's got a tip jar. So it's like she's a musician, you know, busking on the street corner. Only the difference is everybody comes. Some people sit there and just enjoy the sunrise, uh, sunset and shut up and just mm, these incredible bowls and all this shit. Some people just lay there on the sand and have like a long nap. And so listen, it's a very relaxing thing when you just lay down on the ground and somebody creates a wonderful environment where you can just namaste. I I think that's great because I would like to um, make a suggestion on that. And because I know yeah. you're involved in your local communities, certain things, yeah. public policy and that. I think given the story you told about what happened in Lincolnshire, there should yeah. be signs up saying these people are not dead. There's yeah, nothing, warning signs. Nothing go. Come on, I mean, yeah. Th- otherwise, this, people this... could be traumatized if they saw people relaxing. And right, this this out. plastic bag is not a toy. Do not put it on your head. We need a sign that says these people are in shavasana. This isn't some weird kind of a. Th- can I ask, thing. you buy some like an electronic something? You get it out of a box, and in the bottom there's that little packet. It's it's like silica gel. It says don't don't eat it. Do you know or have you ever eaten one? You know, if you didn't see the don't eat this, did you ever like, hey, a mint? I we need more people warning us about stuff like that. We need to be warned about we need to be warned about everything, you know. Um, <laughs> we really we need to be warned early and often. Skiing is a dangerous sport. Life is a dangerous sport. Terrible. Yeah. Are you aware that when you rent these skis, you are taking them onto a mountain and you're going to slide down the mountain? Just the idea of that sounds insane. But we have to make clear that everybody knows it's a dangerous sport. Your your birth country of Canada, ice skating, hockey. I mean, you've got sharp blades. Do you know... Do you know how many hockey players have their heads cut off by ice skating blades? But big hockey covers that. Gotta be thousands, thousands, thousands a year. It's terrible. And the brave, uh, you know, muckrakers who try to talk about this. Do you ever hear that? Terrible. No. Terrible. Big hockey. And and then the, the number of horrible deaths associated with ice fishing. I mean, ice fishing accidents. Terrible. All right. Next one here, Bob. You ready? All right. All right, this is can we this is gonna be the best of all, I think. I can I can feel it. Oh, I got I got a lot more here, but th- th- this one, I like this one. And there's at least one more I gotta do with you, but there's I got a bunch more in between. But anyway, okay, this one, you ready? Florida man. Of course, it's always Florida man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Florida man riding human-sized hamster wheel in Atlantic Ocean, faces federal charges. Look, a Florida man. Well, the, who look a, at him. Jeez. Yeah. Well, so. Oh, is it a, a human-sized hamster? He was trying to cross, apparently, he was trying to cross the Atlantic Ocean uh, in a man-made hamster wheel. Oh, and, it's a uh, hamster. But the... Yeah, and it, it didn't go well, Bob, for, for, for the man riding the human-sized hamster wheel uh, trying to cross the Pacific Ocean. I know that's hard to believe, but uh, apparently, happen? see, here it is. Let me read this to you. A Florida man who was trying to cro- attempt to cross the Atlantic Ocean in a man-made hamster wheel is facing charges after it took the U.S. Coast Guard five days to bring him ashore, according to a criminal complaint in Miami. The Coast Guard spotted Reza Ray Balucci. I hope I'm saying that right, f- uh, 51 years old, 
you think he would learn something by now, 70 miles off the coast of Tybee Island, Georgia, on August 26th, while making preparations for Hurricane Franklin. He told the Coast Guard that he was attempting to ride the hydropod vessel to England yeah. and that he had a Florida registration, which he was unable to locate. <laughs> oh, what? No, wait. He didn't have registration? Yeah, he couldn't. He couldn't find that. At um, everything else sounds good, but no registration. You can't have that. Yeah. So on August 28th, the Coast Guard cutters Campbell and Valiant arrived on the scene to offer support, and they launched a small boat to deliver food and water to give Baluchi uh, uh, predictions of the hurricane. The report said so. So not only was he doing this, Bob, he was riding it into a hurricane. What what could possibly go wrong? Apparently, he's attempted a similar voyage back in 2014, but uh, he didn't learn his lesson. And uh, court records now show that he posted a $250,000 bond. Okay. Wow. Jeez. Wow. So I I don't know if you know this. So these are my favorite new follows on Twitter or X now, which is um, there's a whole bunch of them. And they have have slightly different names, but they're all based on this theme. and, And just the sentence itself is a great one. Fuck around and find out. And, and, and they're basically like jackass on the internet. And it's always dudes. It's always dudes. It's always, they're always these hold my beer moments. Right. And you know, some of them I can't watch because people get very seriously hurt or dead. And those ones are a little much for me, but um, I just like the funny ones where, you know, some guy tries to do something really stupid and ends up in the lake. Um, and so this to me is, is sort of one of the ultimate fuck around <laughs> find out. Well, I was talking to some people, uh, who recently were up in Niagara Falls and they said they had to go to that Ripley's, uh, not the Ripley's, believe it or not, but that, uh, that museum where they show the different, uh, barrels and cans that people have created. I said, I could go to Niagara Falls in this thing. You know, everybody else sure. who ever tried it got killed, but this barrel my go for it man you want to you want to jump over niagara falls you live your best life (laughs) live it quick though because (laughs) live your best life hold my beer (laughs) wow wow well uh, what goes on in the human brain fascinating christopher i got got one one more for you i got one more i I actually got a lot more but i'm I'm gonna give you one more so uh and this is a personal experience i've just had it's fucking fantastic so uh, you love being a podcaster, right, Bob? Sure. And part of why you love it is you get to talk to a lot of interesting people about a lot of interesting shit, right? So that's why I like being a podcaster too. One of my favorite guests, he's now been on with us uh, a handful of times, is a guy named Professor Avi Loeb. And Professor Loeb is Harvard's top astronomer. He's just the uh, astrophysicist. Yeah. He was the head of the astronomy department there for, I believe, a decade or more. And um, the New York Times now calls uh, my friend, Professor Avi Loeb, the world's greatest alien hunter. Hmm. So here's what happened. Several years ago, there was this thing, artifact, that got named Muamua, which is a, um, uh, I believe, a Hawaiian word for visitor or something like that. I could be wrong, but it's I'm directly right. Because it was identified by a telescope in Hawaii. And it is now acknowledged to be the first interstellar artifact that we know of that came, visited the Earth, 
and turned around and fucked off, which is exactly what you'd do if you showed up here and saw us. And you'd go, well, these people are idiots and I'm out of here. So that's what Amuamua did. And, and then he came out and said when, that uh, Amuamua was not an asteroid and it was not a comet because it exhibited a whole bunch of behavior that were unlike any of those. Huh? And it was the first known object to come from outside of our solar system into our solar system and then leave. Um, and so what, what Professor Loeb says is we have to at least consider the fact that because it's nothing we've seen before and it came from outside the solar system, that it is potentially technological in nature. That is to say it's alien. That is to say it's not natural. And his point of view is if you don't consider the possible, you'll never look for it. Whereas a lot of the scientific world says uh, the Carl Sagan quote, great claims require great evidence. And his point is, if you wait till we have great evidence, you're never going to get great evidence because you got to go looking for the fucking great evidence. And of course, I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> the other thing that Professor Loeb says is that you shouldn't you should do science in public. That scientists shouldn't wait until there's a big aha and it, as though they're coming down from the mountaintop. He said there's all a scientist is is a curious child who keeps asking questions. Huh. And as we're learning things and we're to testing hypothesis and this is wrong, but that's right. And we're right about this and wrong about that. And maybe we should go here and not there and da, 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 da. We should, we should practice science in real time in the world, as opposed to just come out and go, ta-da, we spent 20 years on this and here's the answer. And, and aren't we smart? So those are sort of my synopsis of his kind of positions. So he wrote a, he wrote a book about a muamua called Extraterrestrial, and it was very fascinating. He came on and talked about it. A lot of people criticized him. They said, no, no, it's a comet. It's a, it's a this, it's a that. And uh, and he said, well, no, it's not. Go stick it in your ear. And because we know it's something we've never seen before, we at least have to consider that it's technological. And he has a theory about that it's a light sail and so forth and so on. Okay, so that happened a little bit ago. Now, as I'm sure you're seeing, um, the U.S. government is starting to release more and more data about what we actually know about. They call them UAPs now, un unidentified yes. Asshole phenomenon. No, unidentified aerial, aerial. That's aerial phenomenon. I don't know what was wrong with UFOs. Why do we have to change the name of everything all the time, Bob? Yeah, and I really don't like the new one. No, I just, just call them UFOs. Okay, so UAPs, go stick it in your ear. UFOs. UFOs. So yeah, UFOs. So so they they started to release a bunch of data, and um, Professor Avi, being who he is, has analyzed a bunch of this data. Anyway. It turns out a few years ago that according to the U.S. government, an interstellar object landed on Earth or collided with Earth. Mm -hmm. uh, and it is the first interstellar, interstellar object we know of to land on Earth. And of course, asteroids and stuff land on Earth all the time, but not from outside our solar system. So the U.S. government says this came from outside our solar system. So Professor Loeb and some of his students started to analyze this stuff and he raised private money and he said, let's go find if let's go see if we can find any remnants of this thing. And it hit the Pacific Ocean uh, near Papua New Guinea. So he raised about a million and a half dollars from a wealthy billionaire and they built this. He called it a sled to go and comb the ocean floor to look for any components of whatever this thing was that hit the earth. 
And they knew based on government data that it was in this certain range, although I, I can't don't have the dimension data in front of me, but it was a huge seven mile, you know, and of course it's it's like a mile something deep. And I mean, it's like, this is a very difficult thing. The epitome of needle in a haystack. Yeah. Well, guess what? They found 700 components, fragments, rock fragments, uh, space balls, uh, of, of this thing that hit the earth, this artifact that hit the earth. And here's what we know. The government says it's from outside our solar system. And because Professor Loeb is at um, Harvard, he had the best geological experts on planet Earth with literally the best geological equipment on planet Earth study these things. Mm -hmm. And here's what he found out, according to them. These things are nothing like anything we've ever seen on Earth or anything that hit Earth from anywhere inside our solar system. So we now know, A, outside the solar system collided with the planet. B, he got 700 of these things. And we now know it's he calls it an alloy because it's a combination of things. And his point of view is we have to consider the possibility that is it is, quote unquote, technological. That is to say. He is saying we think this is a probe, an alien probe. And we're going to treat it as such until we can disprove our theory. But if we don't assume the possibility that it's an alien probe, we, we're going to miss something. And so uh, he's got a new book out called Interstellar, and he just announced this stuff. The New York Times just called him the world's greatest alien hunter. He is uh, being absolutely smashed by many in the scientific community for his approach. And um, what Dr. Loeb tells us is that um, he thinks we're on the verge of some very big discoveries. He and his team were the first people to see an interstellar object. And now they're doing all this research on it and he's doing another expedition and they're going back there in hopes of finding a bigger piece of this thing because the more data they have about it, the more we could potentially know about it. And he also on the podcast with me talked about the power of AI intersecting with this kind of research. And so he thinks that in his lifetime, and I don't know exactly how old the professor is, but I would guess he's in his, you know, mid fifties to mid sixties, somewhere around there. Um, that in his lifetime, we will know for sure uh, whether or not humans have come here, or whether or not aliens have come here, and they've sent probes here, and what the stuff is. But what we do know for sure is Oumuamua was the first thing outside our galaxy our solar system, excuse me, to come and take a look and then leave. And it defied all sorts of uh, rules that we knew of other uh, of other um, comets and the like. And now Professor Loeb has the first uh, interstellar object to have ever landed on Earth. The one other thing I'll say is he said, if this has happened once, it's probably, it would be stupid to assume it hasn't happened again. Oh, and one other thing, there are between one to two billion planets in the known universe that are roughly the equivalent of earth that could sustain life. And amongst those uh, planets, we are amongst the youngest of them. Mm -hmm. And so professor Avi's point of view is it would be, it would be uh, arrogant to assume that we are a alone 
and B, that we're the most evolved thing, given we're in one of the on one of the youngest planets uh, in the in the known universe that is like our planet. What say you, Bob Evans? Christopher, fascinating story overall, and um, I that going back to early in this point, you mentioned that thing that Sagan said about you know great claims require great evidence, and earlier that you know Avi Loeb said something about hey, if you're not willing to at least entertain the possibility of something, right? You know, we're not going any farther, and it made me think, Chris, about something that's going on right now that I think is. Uh, is is fascinating. This I, I heard this from Thomas Curian, the CEO of Google Cloud, and he said that uh, he said we're working with the Mayo Clinic and a range of areas. One of them is about their study of rare diseases and how to help treat rare diseases. He said we're using AI for that, but he said rare diseases. There's not a lot of data because they are rare. So he said we've had to create a new type of approach with AI that allows a more focused view on a smaller body of, of data. So your point at the, you know, early in this conversation about categories and tech, new tech, new tech categories open up others, I think plays out in this. So whatever ultimately happens with, you know, your professor Loeb's research, I think what he's going to do here is trigger an incredible range of other stuff People looking at it in different, better, smarter, bigger ways. Fantastic. It's so amazing that you say that because so he was just on Follow Your Different with me. And at the very end of the podcast, and it's an in-depth conversation. I mean, we if you like this stuff, this is Avi Loeb, you know, unplugged, yeah. really. And he's an incredible communicator. And I love the guy. And look, I don't know whether he's right or wrong or crazy or genius, but, you know, this is not a guy in his mother's basement with a fucking, uh, you know, aluminum hat doing a YouTube channel. This is this is Harvard's greatest uh, astronomer and an astrophysicist. I mean, this is this guy's this guy is the most credentialed person in the world to ever make any of these types of claims. Um, anyway, at the very end of the conversation on the podcast, I asked him, I said, well, one of the interesting things, if you look back in history, at America's. Uh, striving for the moon and and uh, space travel and then to get to the moon. Um, one of the massive breakthroughs as a result of that that doesn't get talked about are all of the sub-breakthroughs that it led to, many of which form the basis of our industry. Miniaturization, communication. I mean, all these things ultimately lead us to the internet, ultimately impact how we think about computing and a lot of other things. And so, so to your point, the research required to uh, figure this stuff out, to go to the ocean, to retrieve this stuff, to test this stuff, to build AI systems, to try to understand the inputs, et cetera, et cetera. I asked him, I said, will there be, just like the moon landing created all these butterfly effect uh, innovation, breakthroughs of innovation that landed in all sorts of other interesting place, planting you know, a lot of hothouse flowers blooming, is that going to happen from some of the research and technology? Because they had to build this sled thing to, to yeah. you know, scoop stuff off the floor. And now they're going to build a capability to go and try to really understand the ocean floor and take a big look at it. He's also, sub, as all this is going on, they've built a whole new type of telescope at Harvard <laughs> so that they can look at the entire sky as opposed to one slice of sky. So he's he's he and his 
you know, Harvard and his teams are building all this new stuff to study, hey, what the fuck's going on and are we really alone? Anyway, long story longer, yes. Yeah. There will be breakthroughs that come from the breakthroughs yes. that will be enabling technologies that might be, um, you know, the, the elevator of the future in some enabling way. Yeah, yeah. Um, Chris, I'll tell you, that is a tremendous story. And I think this guy, like you said, right, wrong, you know, who knows, but he's having an extraordinary impact on things. And if I go back about 100 years, my senior year in college, of course, we had the was a history and philosophy of science class. I got to go interview a guy at Princeton who was heading up their uh, research into creating a sustainable fusion, not fission, but fusion reactor. And as I was talking to him, I said, you know, you put a lot of work into this. It's an enormous challenge. You know, if you don't succeed in this timetable that you've laid out, would you feel that it's a failure? He shook his head. He said, no, not at all. He said, uh, eventually we'll get there. He said, but along the way, he said, the advances we're making in material science, computational engineering, he ticked off, you know, a, a list of things. And that, Chris, I think, you know, all of that, that, that courage, that imagination, that willingness not to say, you know, it's so easy, right, to be skeptical and cynical. No, 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 that won't work. This won't work. You know, that's crazy. Uh, and I, I just think there aren't enough People, whether you call them sort of nutty or edgy or category creators to go out and think different and uh, follow your different does a great service in a lot of ways. And I think, you know, this conversation with him, I hope lots and lots and lots of people listen to that because that sounds like, you know, uh, could be the podcast episode of the year. Well, uh, what I do know is uh, I have grown to respect and admire Professor Avi Loeb very much. And it's not my area of expertise. I have no ability to evaluate the scientific uh, part of this other than to appreciate that it's the pirates, dreamers, and innovators who are willing to consider the radical different. And I think his approach makes sense. I also think if you sort of forget about how fascinating it is that we now have this incredible man doing alien hunting. Yeah. Uh, he's the, he's the Indiana Jones of of, of space. Um, he's also teaching all of us something about creativity, innovation, and science. So most of us are involved with doing something innovative. Um, most of us get paid to innovate certain things. And so there is a fascinating way in which Avi's mind works around opening the aperture of his thinking, what in category design we call reject the premise. So take the current thinking, yeah. completely reject it, start completely fresh, assume that it's a thousand percent wrong mm -hmm. and open the aperture of your mind and begin to consider others. And so I think he's really, for those of us in the innovation business, for those of us in the radical exponential growth, new category, new technology world, he's teaching us how to be radically innovative. And one of the other questions I asked him, I said was, you know, Professor Avi, could you do this if you didn't have tenure? And he said, absolutely not. Oh, no. And he also couldn't do it if he didn't have the ability to raise private funds. There are no Harvard funds. There are no government funds for some of these things that he's doing. Uh, and he, he has some heat about that. Uh, you know, he thinks that 
what we fund and what we don't fund uh, needs to be thought to, uh, through a little more carefully. But uh, and we get into that in the podcast. But the point being, I think I, all of us are fascinated by aliens, right? Ever since we were little kids, right? There's no human being that's never at, looked up at the stars and said, "Are we alone?" And what the hell's going on up there? And so he he's he's dealing with something that is inherently fascinating to all of us. He's dealing with something that has powerful scientific uh, implications, powerful technological implications, and he's doing it in a radically open open and controversial way. And I think he's teaching us a lot as a result. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, Christopher, you've taken us on a a ride through some uh, the the zany, the profound, the intriguing. But I think as always, you've you know pushing that notion. Follow your different. Get out there. So thank you, brother. It's it is uh, a treat, a pleasure, an honor always to get to have these chats with you. Thanks, Bob. Congratulations on Lulu. I can't wait till uh, President Lulu takes over the country. I'm happy to participate in the campaign in any way in which I can. Thank you. Thank you. 35 is the minimum age right now. So it, you know, it'll be a little while, but uh, she will get there. No, remarkable. Thank you for the good wishes, Christopher. And folks, thanks to all of you for being with us here at Cloud Wars Live. He is Christopher Lockhead. Check out Follow Your Different. Lots of good stuff going on there always. Avi Loeb and much, much more. And uh, Christopher, if you connect with the woman with the uh, eight foot mullet, you know, let's, we'll talk about that. Maybe next I should time. get her on the podcast. Oh, that's a great Heck idea. Yeah. I wonder if I can find her. Heck Let me yeah. see if I can find her. She's my new hero, <laughs> particularly as a guy with no hair. I mean, she's achieved something that's actually impossible for me. So, <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful, my friend. We'll see you.